1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning.
2: The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and stealing signals—that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at yardsburgretch You can find my Stealing Signals Substack at Bangretch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his zero RB watch at Rotoviz. Obviously, all of his other pods, Rotoviz Overtime with Calm Kelly, our executive producer, who does a great job editing all of the Stealing Bananas podcast for us as well. You can find all of those. Over at roadvis on the Road of His podcast feed, Sean. I mean, like we, we we call this episode the biggest takeaways. This has been a a season of I don't know. I I've been thinking a lot about this season generally. A, a season of fewer takeaways, I would say. A lot more sort of variants. A lot of our leagues. Not a huge gap from top to bottom. There's some players that are crushing. Cooper Cup's crushing. Debo Samuel's crushing. We have a lot more Debo Samuel, so we like that one a little more. But there's been a lot of hits and misses. A lot of guys that have emerged at times and not necessarily continued it. Certainly some of the clear trends, I think, are like the the running back dead zone stuff. Some of the zero RB stuff has been a godsend, frankly, for for some of our rosters. We didn't take a lot of running backs in those middle rounds where almost none have been good. And there have been a lot of strong receivers in those ranges. And clearly there have been a lot of a lot of spot starts from later round running backs, waiver wire add running backs that have been really nice for the zero RB strategy. But yeah, I mean, like a, just like it's funny we talk about this every week. Like the biggest takeaways, are, I've been writing my my article week in, week out. In the five years I've done this, this is the the season I would say that's been the least uh, kind of conducive to to identifying what is like the clear signal and what is the clear noise. There's there's obviously stuff to to talk about and look at, but it has been a you know a, a kind of a wild season, right? It has been wild. And it's been a lot of fun.
3: I think that the craziness and the tumult with the reality games has created a lot of repercussions for fantasy. That are a lot of fun. I mean, it's you go into every week and you're like, you know, what's going to happen? And we've had two or three fantastic weeks. We've had a bunch of other good weeks. We've had two really bad weeks. Uh, This last one was a a great week for us. Again, uh, the team that we share together is Cruising right along is now up into the top uh, 250, I think in the FFPC main event. The team I have with Column is the, to the top 125. Uh, you mentioned some of these teams and how close everything is. Every once in a while, a team will kind of jump out of nowhere and back up into it. The extreme zero RB team that I have with Column that got, uh, Column says the most interaction or most engagement he's ever had with a tweet. Of course, the engagement, everyone telling him it was the worst team ever. That team, <laughs> That team is up into the playoffs after a big week. And all of that aside, I mean, the, the biggest development of this week is that a hardcore zero RB team from one Ben Gretsch is back into first place in the Scott Fishbowl. Bowl. So that's a lot of fun. Then we mentioned this not because people are that interested in our teams, but I have a good feeling about it. If our teams are doing well, then... At least in many cases, listeners teams are going to be doing well as well. We talk about the guys we're going to draft. We did a bunch of draft shows. Uh, you know, We're picking the guys we talked about all offseason and suggested that people roster. And so I mean, this is all kind of coming together as we head toward the fantasy playoffs.
2: Yeah, and I mean, one of the guys we talked a lot about, we like to talk a lot about, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I mentioned Debo Samuel. I was trying to think through sort of some of the guys that, have been helpful because a lot of my teams are doing well, and I think are in good positions. Um, and I, I think, for the most part, the listeners care—at least they want to know that you know, when we're talking about zero RB that it can be successful. Or uh, obviously, the Taylor teams are are more of like a modified zero RB build. But Taylor's one, uh, as you were kind of saying that, and, and I was thinking about the players that we that we like and that we talked about. Taylor's one that I probably should emphasize is just another signal again this week, which uh, it's been it's been building. And his role has been building. We have now like four weeks in a row where he's been at higher route shares than he had been at any of the prior five weeks. And his his snaps have been a lot higher. But this week, I think he was at 84% snaps. And I believe it was 10 percentage points higher than his previous season high. The first the first month plus, he was in the 50%, 55% snap range. So now he's up at 84%. I mean, he's an every down back now. They're getting in the ball in the passing game. They're getting him in on the ground. We talked about him a lot on on Monday's show, but that's a dude that is going to define the season. I think he is. And,
3: you know, I, I think a lot of it can be traced back. We do have these still key moments, the moments that a season really turns on. And you hope that the coaches get the same takeaway that you have, if it benefits you in fantasy football, but you hope the coaches will get the takeaway that will make their team better. We talked a lot about Carson Wentz throwing that interception over time to cost them the game. When they had Jonathan Taylor wide open, They've been prioritizing him a little bit more in the passing game. You and I talk a lot about how every touch for Taylor is so interesting because any individual touch could go the whole way. And this last week, he was very inefficient as a receiver. But even though that's the case, I I would be surprised if the Colts go back and look at that and think, okay, well, we need to do something else. We need to get other players involved. I mean, it it may be something they try and scheme up those specific receptions a little bit better. But, I mean, you want to have – taylor involved in those ways it's a little bit of a a different element and, and maybe a tricky segue but one of the things that i saw from the chiefs this week is that they got the running back involved in the passing game in a more effective way they actually uh, the big play is the just spectacular yeah. circus touchdown catch where williams comes through the defender around the defender you know to uh, this ball that appeared to be thrown to the defensive back somehow a running back who has never appeared to be that great of an athlete, comes around, makes this fantastic touchdown
2: reception in the end zone. A play, I mean, most of the league's wide receivers would be lucky to have made. I mean, there's a lot of receivers that can't make that play. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was absolutely
3: phenomenal. One of the things that jumped out to me was early in the game when they actually executed a screen pass correctly and got him a big chunk play that way. I and mean, one of the things that's been so weird about the Chiefs' struggles has been not just that they don't use Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a receiver after drafting him over Jonathan Taylor, which, I mean, every time Taylor touches the ball, it just blows my mind. I'm like, I, I can't believe they did this. People want to know what's wrong with the Chiefs. It's like, that decision right there, that defines like the next decade for me. But anyway, the Chiefs haven't been throwing the ball successfully to the running backs, which is something that Andy Reid always did very well in terms of, number one, just the emphasis, and number two, the scheme, the play calling, setting that up. The fact that Kansas City can't do that with Tyreek Hill, you know, dragging the coverage 60 yards down the field with Patrick Mahomes as elite quarterback, that's been mind boggling. I felt like in this game for the Chiefs, they finally started to take a, a step in the right direction that way. I mean, it, it can get lost in the shuffle of them just being a lot better overall and blowing out a Ra- Raiders team that, I mean, frankly, you feel bad for them. They've had, I mean, a lot of these things were self-induced. They needed the people within their organization to make better decisions, but, I mean, they've got a lot going on there. So, you know, maybe some asterisks, but the Chiefs bouncing back in a big way. Williams, a huge part of that.
2: Yeah, really interesting. Um, I've had some people comment to me that look, they're throwing to the running back now. Clyde Edwards is gonna return to a better situation. I think that's a you know, one certainly one way you could look at this. The other way you look at this is that Terrell Williams is not gonna give up the job because it is interesting. They they were not using. Clyde Edwards uh, you know I say using sort of an air quotes but not using him this way not throwing to him a lot of the backfield and it does make you question like look Daryl Williams targets per out run it's much higher than than Clyde Edwards so far this year it, it does make you question if just like little things Williams is doing little things to be in the right spot or whatever uh, we do see there's a lot of variance with the running backs and with the targets per outrun and stuff. They're not running as many routes. They're obviously, you know, a lot of their routes that turn into targets are just routes or, or plays where the defense is taking something away. We know what the chiefs lately, probably the biggest reason they're incorporating the running back more is the the two deep shells and all of those things. But the big discussion in this Raiders game was that the Raiders were not playing a two deep shell. They, they were, you know, there's a lot of discussion on Twitter during the game and elsewhere from people who know this stuff better than me that, they're doing a lot of single high. So Patrick Mahomes crushed. <laughs> he was able to get the ball down the field and and do a lot of, you know, really positive things. But he, I mean, it, it, like like Tra- Tyree Kill ends up with, you know, 83 yards on 10 targets and seven catches. It's not like Tyree Kill had a bunch of, you know, massive big plays or anything. They did sort of run their offense the way that they have needed to against the two deep stuff. You know, Travis Kelsey gets the eight catches, 119 yards underneath. And Daryl Williams has the nine catches for 101 yards. He does have a 38-yard downfield catch, but like throwing downfield to your running back is not really, you know, uh, an example of the Chiefs being the Chiefs, I guess is the way that I would put it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is kind of interesting to to, to question whether Daryl Williams is doing something that Clyde edwards Ziller is not doing or whether Clyde edwards Ziller can return to this really strong role.
3: And just as a runner as well, Williams has been better in some of these key short yardage situations to get you those high-value touches in that particular role he's been someone over the last several years as they've really shuffled in a number of bodies and even last year we saw with Le'Veon bell he continues to rise into that clear backup role and then in, in cases like this the starter during stretches and he's been much better than i expected I, he just really had the look of someone who was going to be a mike davis or a wayne gallman someone who even in a role that you would think would be valuable could underperform that to the extent where you really couldn't play him. That hasn't been the case. And so I, I'm i very proud of him and excited for what he's done for the Chiefs there. Now they did have the better game overall. You mentioned Tyreek Hill's performance. He was wide open for a 54 yard touchdown and the one really bad play that Mahomes made, the one really poor throw where it kind of looked like the past several weeks where you could tell that he was pressing. I mean, overall he played a beautiful game here. He looked like his old self and then he has this opportunity to make the big play. And it was, I mean, you could almost see his mind speed up, just like, you know, I do when I'm out there playing tennis against someone good, like the bad quarterbacks do. And the, the whole thing just happened too quickly. He throws that ball way out of bounds. But this was a big game for them. The other big development here, during the stretch where they've struggled to make the just consistent gains that they need to keep drives going, Travis Kelsey has been awful from a reality perspective. He's dropped balls. He's fumbled balls. He just—he's been bad. He was back to himself in this game, and that will make a, a huge difference. Because, you know, when it comes right down to it, people want to know what's wrong or what can they do better. And you know, it would be great to have a Jonathan Taylor on that team. It would be great to have a third contributing receiver. But the fact of the matter is that when you still have those three guys, your offense should be good. You've got just an embarrassment of riches compared to what most teams have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the other one that Mahomes threw that. It was a little questionable, was the Daryl Williams one? I mean, that was not a very well-thrown ball. When you have a running back in one-on-one situation, and you miss to the inside, and he has to go up and make that play, it kind of bailed them out. Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers
3: are thinking just, like, if our guys had made those plays, our end our, zone so in interceptions wouldn't look so bad.
2: Well, maybe not Wilson, who just threw it to the Packers. But, yeah, it might help Rodgers. One usage note that was interesting here, we talked about the third receiver. They've been shuffling four guys around. Demarcus Robinson for three straight weeks now has been below 50% routes. He tends to run a lot of routes, not see a lot of targets, but he's been basically sidelined. And so it has really been Mikko Hartman, but Byron Pringle's been there. Josh Gordon's mixed in. This week, Mikko Hartman was basically relegated uh, down to just 33% routes, completely kind of taken out of the offense. And Byron Pringle was the one who was third on the team. And then Josh Gordon was also uh, up and was, I believe, the next of that Quartet behind Pringle, who so anyway. If you're playing Mikael Hardman, if you're if you're considering any of these guys, it's kind of shuffling around. It's kind of tough.
3: So we've got Mikael in a couple of leagues, and you're saying only play him in the case of a severe emergency. What's your thought on Josh Gordon with the report that Andy Reid is telling him to be patient that that role is coming? Uh, Do you feel comfortable with his route share rising a little bit to say that could? Play out, or I mean, Byron Pringle had some big plays in this game, and that always leads to, or it can lead. There's a very good chance that it leads to a little bit more opportunity. I mean, he's never going to be more than a role player, but maybe a role player that you could, you know, also play if you're desperate.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I my concern with Gordon is he did actually play a good chunk of this game. They threw 51 times, and he didn't see a target. And so it, it's a question of, I mean, that's that's bizarre. I mean, can he earn targets? Where like is he not part of the offense? What's going on there? pringle i would even say from a production standpoint he has four catches 46 in a td it's nice but he only had the five targets and again they threw 51 passes and so and then you're looking at it from a target share perspective and going okay he was just under 10 percent targets that's not great i mean hill and kelsey both got 10 right where you'd expect them to be daryl williams had the nine and, and mckinnon had three and so you had all these running back targets which sometimes are kind of just I kind of separated my mind. They're kind of extension of the passing game or or, I mean, running game or, you know, what, what have you. But uh, so Pringle was uh, among the receivers and tight ends. Pringle was third with with five and Demarcus Robinson got four and Noah Gray got three. The fact that Gordon didn't get a single target is part of the reason to your question. My answer would be, I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm not reading into that too much yet. I mean, I'm going to need to see him be like the snaps did tick up. The routes did tick up and he didn't even get one look. So I'm going to need to see him be able to actually get some passes thrown his way.
3: You can make a roundabout argument that Gordon is a better signing than Odell Beckham simply because you can run him out there on all those routes and you don't have to feel the pressure to target him and he's not going to cause a big problem. Although the fact that this came out in the media that his time is coming uh, speaks to the, the possibility he might have been a little bit frustrated as well by the lack of targets there, but it, it's kind of interesting. It, did you have a, a sense on this game last night? It'll be a couple nights old when uh, we release here back in place a little bit early. He gets the couple of targets. There is the interception. I mean, those of us who have been big time lions fans forever and have watched Matthew Stafford's whole career and have watched all of his games. And there may be a lot of listeners out there who have watched all of his games as well. But, I mean, here's someone who is a good decision maker. He's got good accuracy. He's got a fantastic arm, just crazy arm strength. He is a competitor. But, I mean, he goes through stretches like what we're seeing now with the Rams. And he went through these with the Lions, where even when they have a Calvin Johnson, even when they have decent weapons... You know, you get to the end of the season and you're like, you know, it it just wasn't quite there. And in almost all of these cases, the rest of the team is blamed. And for good reason, the rest of the team is below average, but Matthew Stafford, perhaps not the superstar, perhaps not the NFL MVP level player that can, you know, pull this offense there if it's not around him. And so uh, did you have any feelings about how bad the the Rams looked, and you know this early interception where you know, he appears to miscommunicate with Beckham. I mean, you can't throw that pass. So, I mean, it's
2: not Beckham's fault. I don't even think that was a miscommunication. Yeah, that was just insane. Like, well, <laughs> I I think the only miscommunication was between Stafford's eyes and his brain. Like, I what what I don't that <sighs> extended play. He could take off and run. He, it was a, it was a, a second down. It wasn't even a third down. Like a weird time to take an arm punt. If it's third down, I get it a little bit. You just want to throw it up there and let him try and make a play. You're going to punt the next down anyway. But, um, you know, he could just basically take a sack. But he wasn't even, like, under an immediate duress. He just was like, there's two defenders down there, but Beckham's going to make this play. Like, did he think he's Megatron? I think he thought he was Megatron for a second. And he still didn't even put it really anywhere near him. And I understand.
3: When he's kind of gesturing at where Beckham could have run on that route, you're thinking, yeah, I mean, Calvin Johnson at his size with his jumping ability, he yeah. can go get that ball. Because there's but a defender be... there.
2: I mean, the defender catches it like a punt. So even if Beckham was going the right way, he's going to have to make a play to take the ball away from the defender.
3: Well, and there's a second defender there as well.
2: Yeah, there's another one there. I mean, just a wild, but uh, almost as wild as Stafford later in the game, uh, seeming to, uh, I think there was the joke on Twitter that like his, his controller's battery died. I mean, seeming to forget where the line of scrimmage was. He runs across it by like two yards and then starts running towards the sideline, maybe like four or five more steps. And well after he's cleared the line of scrimmage, he's like, I still really want to throw this down the field. And so he does it. And I was like, I tweeted at that point, uh, what's going on with Matthew Stafford? Did he forget how to play football or something like that? And I got a lot of responses that I think thought I was talking about the entire game, which is, you know, indicative of how bad he had played. I was talking about that one particular play where you can't just run across the line of scrimmage. And then, several steps later while you're running beyond the line of scrimmage decide you're going to throw it. Uh, but there were, yeah, I mean, several plays. You're right. He, he does have that, that ability to kind of look like he doesn't know what he's doing. And he did last week against the Titans as well. To your question about, you know, what this means or how the offense looked, a lot of people were like, look, Robert Woods wasn't in this and that. I mean, Robert Woods has not been very good this year. I don't think it's just Robert Woods. I think part of it is, look, Stafford had a couple of bad games, and that's going to happen. I also think part of it is like they don't have a lot of other players. I mean, we the other team this is impacting is Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I think we talked in the preseason. I was saying, look, the Chargers kind of screwed Justin Herbert. Like they they got they got him Keenan Allen and you know if Mike Williams makes a step forward, which we saw early in the year, but now Mike Williams hasn't been doing as much. They don't really have anything else. They got rid of Tyron Johnson, who was like their best shot at potentially having a, a decent third receiver. I, I think the Rams are in a similar spot. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of Van Jefferson. Had a couple of bad drops in this game. Tyler Higby has a horrible drop that goes for a pick six. That was not on Stafford at all. Uh, and then another bad drop later from Higby. Those two guys are not, in my opinion, good second and third weapons, essentially. So you need... You basically, yeah, I mean, in that sense, Woods not being there is bad because you don't even have anything as the second guy behind Cup. It used to be at least that Woods even not being really himself this year was better than that. They need Beckham. They need Beckham. The thing that I will point to is, look, they have a bye coming up. They now have two weeks. They barely played Beckham. He only played, I think, 15 snaps. Uh, And part of that was because of the early interception and things are just not looking great in terms of how he was integrating. He caught a pass on the very first play. Then the interception later on that drive. He only ends up with one more target the entire game. Uh, and I don't even remember that that other catch that he had, but and just to note for our dynasty league, he is available if you want to give us a couple first round picks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tons, tons of value here as we sit and talk about it. Um uh, yeah, it looks like his other catch was right in the second quarter. I didn't see him much in the entire rest of the game. And it was a blowout loss. But look, they have two weeks now. Uh, you know, most teams take a week off with their bye week I would guess that Stafford is not going to take a lot of time off. He's going to be working with Beckham for a couple of weeks now. You'd hope, you'd like to think. I mean, they might not have a whole lot of team practices, but you'd think maybe they, they get together, do some stuff on the side. Two weeks from now, it could look a lot different, right? I mean, they they will have two full weeks now to get together and try to figure some of the stuff out. Well, Ben, when we come back... From the break i have a question i want to ask you about the other
3: side of that game i also have a trade possibility that i want to run by you in our dynasty league which hopefully will give listeners a sense of kind of how we're valuing players what we might be looking to do on a team that's young but is in a position to perhaps buy but also know that you have a team that you want to get to and that's where we'll start when we come back from this break
1: Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over. The NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: you need Indeed. That's U N I F Y D slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the unified healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
2: Sean, in the first half Of the show, we talked a little bit about Jonathan Taylor again, and you mentioned this idea we've talked a lot about, about how teams basically can't afford to not be using their good players, (laughs) right? Like it was bizarre a little bit earlier this year uh, to see, you know, even just a little bit of Marlon Mack. I mean, maybe not bizarre to to like a more casual observer And, and Marlon Mack looked good at times. But our point was they need to be giving Jonathan Taylor every touch they can get in his hands. He was a workhorse in college. He can handle it. And their offenses looked a lot better since they've started to do that. The flip side of that was something I noticed looking at the Arizona game. They were without Chase Edmonds. Uh, obviously, James Conner played very well in his stead last week, but without Chase Edmonds, but more importantly, without DeAndre Hopkins and without Kyler Murray. And last week with both DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green out, Christian Kirk kicked to the outside a little bit more. Rondell Moore ran a bunch of routes. This week, with A.J. Green back, Cliff Kingsbury decided to have Antoine Wesley outside running 82% of the routes. He saw one target and did not catch a pass because he's not good. He had him opposite A.J. Green. And then he also obviously had Zach Ertz out there a ton. They've loved to use him since they traded for him. You you can't really fault them. They went and made a midseason trade. They're going to use that guy. But that basically puts everything on, you know, Connor to a degree, gr- but but Kirk, who kicked back into the slot to do everything, and he had, uh, you know, a decent enough game. And there's a lot of issues in this game. I mean, the Panthers' defense was getting into the backfield a ton. You have Colt McCoy at quarterback. you got a lot of things that aren't going right. But what I couldn't understand, and honestly I think is one of the dumbest things that I saw this week, was that Rondell Moore was at a season-low 33% routes. So you have this explosive young player that you took in the second round. He's been making plays and giving opportunities. And you're in a situation where your biggest playmakers, arguably your three biggest playmakers, I mean, maybe Kirk over Edmonds. I don't know. I mean, like certainly Hopkins and, and Kyler himself are the biggest playmakers on this team. They're both out. And, and Edmonds has been pretty explosive for this offense all year, and he's out. And you think this is a situation where you're not going to use Rondell Moore at all. You want to stick to your you know, Christian Kirk's my slot guy. And so that means that Antoine Wesley, who's an outside guy, is going to be on the outside. And now I have Antoine Wesley and A.J. Green as my outside receivers trying to win. We've been talking all year. A.J. Green's look good at times, but a huge part of that is there's not been a lot of defensive attention on him. He gets five targets, one catch, four yards in this game when there is a little bit more attention on him. Kirk has a decent game in the slot. Seven catches on eight targets, 58 yards. Zach Ertz has four catches on six targets, 46 yards. I mean, they they probably were never going to win this game. But how, I mean, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on more what we should be thinking how insane was it, though, also, just from a from a football perspective? And Kingsbury, to me, look, they've obviously done some things right in Arizona. They're having a great year. But since he started as a head coach, has really, in my opinion, struggled to understand talent and, and player deployment and how, how to do things <laughs> in terms of when you need guys on the field. This exact concept that you were talking about with Jonathan Taylor at the beginning of the show. This was not a situation where you could afford to just be like, well, We're not going to use a lot of Rondell Moore. They should have had him on the field every snap they could have. You could have played Kirk outside. You could have played Rondell Moore in the slot. Then you have Moore and Kirk running routes together. Atrocious, right? I mean, it's weird.
3: And it kind of makes you wonder if the game getting away early, if there's any... Sort of situation where rondell moore we know that he has had uh, some minor injury issues over the last month if they're more or less just trying to protect him for games that are more important as they go forward here you know games they have a chance to win I mean, you don't want to lose these guys who are playmakers in a game that you're you know, pretty clearly getting blown out from the beginning and it, it would have made more sense in some ways maybe get james Conner off the field but we're glad that they did not so he gets in and, and gets that touchdown late the flip side of it would just be the thing you're saying where they're not developing some of these guys into the other roles. Now, again, with, with Moore, they've used him out of the backfield. They're using him on a lot of these manufacturer touches. So part of it I think is just a developmental kind of thing where they don't feel like he's ready to do some of these things that the other receivers can do. And so they're a little bit more limited in terms of the flexibility on specific routes and specific formations. The thing that I've been frustrated by with the Cardinals over the last couple of years, and it was really egregious last season with DeAndre Hopkins and him lining up in the exact same place every time and the defense being able to kind of, without having to really work at it, to scheme to take him away because they know where he's going to be, right? And so you do still see some of that this season with where Hopkins lines up, with where A.J. Green lines up. You know, you contrast that to, like you were talking about, get the stars involved in this past week. I mean, it was even a little bit frustrating with Debo Samuel and all these these carries because you're like, uh, just like lateral the ball forward, get at that extra point. Don't they know that we have PPR here? But I mean, you get, you get Samuel involved. He gets the rushing touchdown. We talked on Sunday night. We saw how the Cowboys were able to incorporate CeeDee Lamb all over the formation, a wide variety of routes, different styles of play. Rondell Moore is not to that point yet. Right. But when you're in this kind of game where you don't have playmakers, your quarterback, Colt McCoy, needs every possible advantage that he could get in a defense uh, like the Carolina Panthers, who the Panthers have had some trouble this year. But one of the reasons that they said they went out and got Cam Newton is they like their, their defense. They I mean, this is a swarming, attacking defense that can give you a lot of problems if you kind of let them get to you. This situation where their offense hasn't put them in such a big hole that the defense can attack. And so I mean, we saw a game here quickly get out of control.
2: Best fantasy uh, defense he could have drafted this year. Exactly right. Exactly right. I, mean, <laughs> I learned that
3: early in the game in, in stealing signals, and I've been going back to them every time. No, I mean, this was a game where you would have liked to see – I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little bit higher on Kingsbury. I got my Cardinals shirt going here to try and get the, the vibe a little better heading into week 11. But, yeah, I, all of those things that you're saying are true, especially in a game – and so it kind of looks at, at both directions. I, I, mean, I want to make the excuse of, okay, they weren't going to win. They wanted to protect the healthy people they have left. The flip side of that just would have been, though, I mean, this is a chance to let, you know, see what more can do. Use them in a variety of ways. What do you have to lose? You're getting blown out. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is frustrating.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I will note, I, I have a question for you about more because I've seen a lot of commentary about his role being poor i've seen some commentary that he'd be somebody to already consider selling in dynasty because he needs a role change look i I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that they've manufactured him touches in the ways that are most conducive to him succeeding early in the you know basically in the first half of his rookie season but if that's not going to change before the end of his rookie season and that's all we get this year that is a little bit problematic, but he has made some plays down the field. He had that fantastic toe tap play on the sideline uh, earlier this year. He made a, a big play on a catch and run week one, week two, whatever it was. And we talked about this on the show before. Am I, <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating this. I think we've talked about it maybe a couple of times, but do, two, two things. One, I will say that both of his catches in this game came from Chris Trevler after the, after Colt McCoy left in the mid middle of the third quarter. So they were actually still using him sort of late in the game of this blowout. That was one of the reasons I was a little bit concerned uh, about his overall usage was that so, like a, a decent chunk of it. I mean, both of his receptions came in the blowout situation. But then the the other thing I wanted to ask is sort of, as we look at him from a step back and look at him from a bigger picture, what it seems to me like inevitable that he gets the opportunity to actually run some of these receiver routes. But you mentioned that, you know, maybe he's not all the way there with some of those other skills. Clearly, as a guy who did what he did as a freshman in the Big Ten, I mean, I know a lot of his work in in, in college was around the line of scrimmage as well, and was a yak and all of that. But he made plays down the field. I mean, this he he's just because he's five seven and all of these things, he can make plays down the field, and he's made plays already at the NFL level down the field, which I think is notable because he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. It should we be really concerned about him sort of being pigeonholed one, and then and two like. Uh, essentially I, I mean it, it, it's the same as one but <laughs> how likely is it that that's all we see right and I, I feel like it's not I feel like okay we've seen them use him in the ways that make a lot of sense early in his rookie season all rookies are trying to find their way into a bigger role but when he's in a bigger role they're going to use him down the field a little bit right I mean we saw it with Debo it's year three but we've I mean I'm not writing off Rondell Moore never having some air yards in his career are you? No, no. And I think that if you
3: can get some like mild deals, the people who drafted Rondell Moore are going to have a hard time selling him. And so, I mean, you're not going to get him as a throw in or, or something like that. If you want him in some leagues and this is the time period where someone's trying to make a move to go for it. You have to be disciplined in price because you do want to reflect the idea that the fantasy community is down a little bit on him. So you can't pay full price. If somebody wants that, you know, maybe wait, go a different direction, but Yeah, and we saw some heavy target games early in the season. Those turned out to not – I mean, he wasn't able to build on them in the way that we had hoped, and so he hasn't been a big weapon this season. That's very disappointing. At the same time, we saw that. You you mentioned that fantastic catch that he made. There's no question that he can do some of these other things. The Cardinals, I think, are actually a decent situation to potentially a good situation because he is in there with a young – star qb and one of the things we've seen from kyler murray this year is some development as a passer not just a fantasy qb but an overall reality qb who can take the cardinals it looks like potentially deep into the playoffs i mean this game was a bad game but he's not in there right i think anytime that you have a chance to have one of these receivers with a fantastic collegiate profile with elite athleticism and his athleticism is really just off the charts who was involved early and made some big plays early. It'd be a lot different if that first like six weeks of the season hadn't had just, you know, these tantalizing nuggets at different points. I think without that, you know, it would be a little bit of a different question, but I mean, if you can buy the dip here, I would definitely do it. The Cardinals have both taken the feedback or taken what they've seen in games and improved at times. And then also been a little bit stubborn. At times. So I don't think this is one where we can just say, oh, well, I mean, it's on tape what they need to do. They're going to fix it, you know, look for that fix in the near future. But I do think it's a possibility. We're definitely going to see more uses in different ways. This last week was disappointing. I think that if you can look at him as even a year two guy, then you're gonna be very excited. But we still have a lot of this season to go. So the question is, you know, can you make it through the next couple of weeks? Is he going to be somebody who is valuable in the fantasy playoffs? Sometimes all it takes is that switch to really flip. We saw with Kadarius Tony, he goes from being somebody who didn't have that much value to this huge target share for a couple of games. He then has the injury. Things have dropped back down. We're still kind of trying to figure out there. We saw Elijah Moore. He had the huge buzz during training camp. And then the quiet, you know, first month, month and a half of the season, all of a sudden everybody's like, well, this offense can't pass, and Corey Davis might be the one, and other people might be the two, and he's a tiny little dude, and, and then all of a sudden we see, I mean, this is what everybody was so excited about, right? I mean, Elijah Moore is going to emerge there as the guy. I mean, these these two players are not Calvin Johnson. They're not 6'3", 220-pound players. They're not going to bring all of those things to the table, but I still think they're very exciting uh, reality players, and they're going to be very good for you in fantasy.
2: And Elijah, by the way, also saw his routes cut this week, which was another one. Well, you've got to get, get Corey Davis involved. Got to get Corey Davis involved. Got to get Jameson Crowder up to a season high route share when Corey Davis is back for some reason. And it's like a clear one two with those guys. And then Moore's like splitting with Keelan Cole. That's basically what we saw last week. Don't think that will stick. Moore scored, Elijah Moore scored late in that game. And like you said, he just looks incredible. He scored now. Three times in the last couple of of weeks now, and I think uh, I saw Scott Barrett mention on Twitter from three different quarterbacks as well, which is you know obviously very good to see. He, he got one TV from Mike White, caught one from Joe Flacco. also caught one from Josh Johnson late in that Thursday nighter. Um, you had some other stuff that you wanted to discuss, another game you wanted to get to, and then uh, I think a dynasty thing, right?
3: Well, you had mentioned.
2: Well, we've mentioned, I mean, we have have Debo everywhere. He's been this
3: unstoppable force. We know it's going to be difficult for anybody to maintain kind of the level that he's at. Is there any extra concern when we know that one of these games that he scored all the points was a Trey Lance game where it was so fluky with the broken coverage and then the late score? And then this game where the 49ers ran the ball so successfully, didn't pass a lot, and I mean, their, their focus going into the game was to be just so run heavy, really come hell or high water. You know you don't know because what happened was the things worked out beautifully and so they could stick with this. You know, is there going to be a situation? We also have this kind of in a different dynamic with Devontae Smith. Smith is somebody who another one of these emerging rookie wide receivers. He had all of these buy low metrics in terms of his air yards through the first you know six, seven weeks. Then in the last couple of weeks, he kind of hit this kind of, double where because he's an ascending rookie his market share and those kinds of things erupted and at the same time he was able to actually capitalize on some of these big plays he looks unbelievable but both of these offenses want to run the ball run the ball run the ball i mean i don't know there's not much you can really do about it in redraft unless you have a very liquid market for making trades is there any way where this would concern you in dynasty i mean these teams are going to have to be somewhat normal teams over the next three to five years is is that right or or could they be just super super run heavy
2: yeah I don't know that's a good question like the longer term thing I mean I I think the Niners could be pretty run heavy Um, you know they're gonna have Lance taking over Shanahan's wanted to run there's been some calls for Shanahan you know some, some discussion that Shanahan's apparently not as good of a coach as people think and so obviously like if he was replaced that would change things but I I mean I, I don't really see that happening, you know, at least not in this offseason personally. It's interesting with Debo. I mean, he's the one that earlier this this year, I think we talked a little bit about sort of like doing kind of in-season rankings and where we would put these guys. And I had emphasized that I I thought Debo was sort of overperforming. He had a couple of really long touchdowns in the first four weeks. Uh, but he's just continued to be a league winner. I mean, he's just continued to be a star, and they're using him in all different ways. And as I've watched that kind of go on, I've thought that you certainly got the better of that because I think at the time you were saying he was more or less a first-rounder for you at that, at that point. He's been incredible. And, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned as well that, like, Kittle's back, and Kittle is pretty quickly integrated. And Iyuk is now running 100% route shares, you know, two of the last three weeks and, and way up there the other week. Uh, I think it was ninety-five or something. The, the third week, he's out there on the field every single play. And Ayuk looked good in this game. Uh, he only gets four targets, three catches, twenty-six yards. The twenty-one yarder was a nice play. Nice play after the catch. Uh, again, only four targets, but nineteen total passes. They they ran the ball uh, forty-four times against nineteen passes. Like you said, they came out just absolutely running. Debo gets five of those carries. Like as a true halfback in some in some spots, which is great to see that they're you know they're going to use him all sorts sorts of ways, but. As far as everything Debo's done as a receiver, I mean, he's been incredible. Again, he gets only five targets here. He has a 40 yard touchdown. He gets 97 yards on these five targets, basically almost 20 yards per target. Caught all five of them. He, he continues to just be absolutely incredible. But if they're gonna throw 19 passes, and if Kittle's gonna come back and be involved enough to get, you know, seven targets like he did in this game, I you could, the four targets doesn't look great, but my point was you know, only 19 pass attempts, it's still over a 20% target share. It's It was very concentrated on these three, but that was sort of the concern coming in. And now this offense finally looks like these are the three guys. And so you do have all three of them. And it's not just Debo, which it has been for most of the year. So I don't know. I think there's pros, there's cons. I mean, Debo starting to get this running back work and everything is an obvious pro. Um, the fact that he continues to be so efficient is not a con. I mean, people sometimes look at that and say he has to regress. And that's sort of what I was saying earlier in the year. Although I was mostly just talking about spec- two specific, just massive outlier plays but that that hasn't mattered because he's he's made plays in other ways and he continues to be just fantastic for the season. He's up over 11 yards per target on the on the year, you know, kind of scoring TDs at will. I mean, he's been phenomenal. So, whether they go run heavy or whatever they do, I think the way that he's so he's so versatile, the way that they can use him, I think he's still going to continue to be very productive. Smith Smith looks great. I'm concerned about Smith for the rest of this year. He's been incredibly efficient the last couple of weeks for four straight weeks now the Eagles have been at least 13 percentage points below expectation in terms of their pass rate. And a couple of those games they won and had very low pass expectation rates. They have been incredibly run heavy, even in these scenarios where they're out, uh, you know, getting to leads. They're basically doing what San Fran just did every single week. And and that's why you tied these two together. But this has been a huge, clear, permanent shift, it seems like, because they're playing better football. I mean, they won a couple of games they very nearly beat the chargers they lost on a last second field goal they look like they just want to be a ground and pound run heavy team now that's only going to throw 20 or 25 passes and and in that scenario even if you have a great target share like devonta smith has you're only getting six targets you got to catch all of them and you got to score twice which is what he's been doing but you're not going to be able to do that every single week and so him for me the rest of this year i'm concerned about the rest of his career the next 3 to 5 years whatever it's probably not going to be hurt you know they're probably going to have a more normal offense at some point still very bullish on him long-term.
3: Yeah. And and he was the guy where I talked about it several times, but in Matt Spencer's wide receiver model, which is really a fantastic um, piece of work that he has put together there, Jamar chase with one of the best projections ever, Devonte Smith was actually not that far behind him when you consider just how incredible Chase's projection was. That gives me, uh, I mean, and anybody who watched him play as a collegiate, I mean, you're going to be pretty optimistic about what he could do. The fact that he's now making some of these plays at the NFL level as a rookie within this difficult context with a quarterback who maybe isn't that accurate. Uh, he's a little guy, but um, we've said in some of these very specific situations, the little guys can come through. I think he's got a really exciting career out there ahead of him uh, and you mentioned that past expectation one of the things I was noting for, for an article I was, I was working on today was just how crazy it is in all context right they uh, you can pull up the road NFL pace tool you can look at neutral you can look at plus seven you can look at trailing seven and they were like far and away the lowest in two of the three categories and then one they were trailing the 49ers but the 49ers hadn't had many plays kind of in that context and so, you know, again, it's kind of a, just crazy how regardless of the game situation they find themselves in, it is some kind of run, even if that just means it's uh, Jalen Hurts running himself.
2: Right. To put that into uh, to context, and I, I have these numbers, I want to give a shout out to, to Mike Leone. He has given me some of this data. All four of those games, I, I said 13 percentage points below expectation. To, to put in context how low that is, all four of them have been in the bottom 15 games this season in terms of pass rate relative to the expected pass rate and the expected pass rate is going to be you know based on these situational things like you're talking about down and distance and score and all those things all four have been in the bottom 15 for any team all season long. I mean there's hundreds of games that we have, right? I mean are we at thousands now? No, we're at uh you know th- over 300, but you know team games. You have 30 30 teams 10 weeks basically, yeah. We're just over 300 games. They're in the bottom fifteen each of the past four games. I mean, that's if there's not a, a clear trend there. I don't know. What to, and in the last three games, they're actually all in the bottom seven. And so, I mean, the, yeah, their their one game is, is the fifteenth lowest back in week seven. But eight weeks, eight, nine, and ten, they've just leaned into that even further. They've been way, way, way under expectation. And like I said a couple times, their expected pass rate was incredibly low, and they were still way below that. So, yeah, it's kind of nuts. It's crazy. Uh, you don't you don't see teams have th- this little variance in terms of what they're doing, right? And what it resulted in in week ten was just a whole bunch of low value touches
3: for a variety of running backs. Then we gotta we gotta let the listeners go. but I wanted to spring one on you here, kind of uh, get your immediate emotional feedback. We did inadvertently slash kind of on purpose, win again. In our Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League, we're now right on the edge of the playoffs. We still have this team that's decent, but you know probably takes some additional pieces to win. We had a trade offer from one of our buddies who's a listener. We won't call him out here in case he does want to remain private, but uh, someone we've shared quite a bit of interaction with and, and had a good time discussing teams and trades and concepts with him. A couple of the guys that he offered: so Mike Evans, Miles Gaskin. Uh, Mark Andrews, Gaskin, probably somebody that I would take out of that. Uh, Even though I like Gaskin as a reality player, I don't think he can really afford to pay anything there. And some of the pieces that he wanted back would be things that we wouldn't want to give up. Like Pat Fryermuth, who really to me looks like he could be, you know, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle in a couple of years. You give that up in a tight end premium league. And all of a sudden you're looking back and you're like, we did that to try and win with a team that wasn't quite there in year one. But I think there are some interesting things we could pot- potentially do. Now, we talked a little bit with him about Joe Burrow, and his response was basically you guys aren't anywhere close to an offer that would get you Burrow. But one of the people he was interested in was Juju. We could obviously make that move with Juju being hurt and with having some wide receiver depth. What would be your thoughts? I've got this kind of uh, mock trade offer here. If we put out Fitzpatrick, who could still have some value in Superflex in the future, perhaps Juju, Will Fuller, obviously (laughs) doesn't look like he's going to give us anything this year, Friar and two first-round picks. Then we have four first-round picks for next year, but we do know that if you have the picks, sometimes it makes sense to go ahead and spend them. I would want to get back Joe Burrow, Michael Carter, Mike Evans, and Mark Andrews. Number one, is that something where for those four pieces you would be willing to give up those guys plus the two first round picks? And number two, do you think that's a fair-ish trade within this
2: context? I'm so bad at, at dynasty trade valuations that trying to parse that is making my head explode. But I mean, I, I think the, the concerns you have about trading away a are valid. At the same time, Mark Andrews is looking fantastic right now. Um, mitigate some of that. I think he's going to have you know, several strong years himself. And so it's not like we're just giving up this premium tight end asset. And there's scenarios where Friermuth never really works out. And Andrews does look fantastic right now. So less concerned about trading away Friermuth in this particular league, have exposure to him elsewhere in a deal that brings back Andrews. uh, Excited about the potential to add Burrow. Who else did you say? Mike, uh, Mike Evans and who else? Oh, Michael Carter. Michael Carter. Yeah, Carter's interesting because I think so much of what he's done as a receiver lately, it's been fantastic, but it's been tied to Mike White. It's one of those trends that I said that, like, this has been a weird year. And that's like this little Jets running back thing that's just been an explosion in three of the last four weeks. And then the one week where we had mostly Josh Johnson, it wasn't there. Um, but they've had these three massive high-value touch weeks and, and one completely terrible one. Uh, and I think it's going to probably just go back down downhill if – Uh, Zach Wilson is back under center and probably will be at some point. Ideally, you know, they they figure some things out that make Zach Wilson a little more effective and that could be part of it. So maybe there's some adjustment there, but um, white had the four interceptions. Doesn't seem like he's long for um, long for the job as soon as Wilson is healthy. And uh, anyway, Carter, good player has been very good so far this year. Uh, Not a good offense. And if the receptions go away, this exciting little stint that we've had might just be like the one little exciting moment from his rookie season. And, and he's, you know, not able to continue that. So little concerned about him. Um, You mentioned Gaskin. I had a little note on on Gaskin over the past, I think it's five games, yeah, five games, 2.7 yards per carry, 3.2 yards per target. He's been horribly inefficient. He's usually been a pretty efficient player, but these last five games been playing a lot more horribly, horribly inefficient. So some real questions about his long-term future, especially as a guy that we know doesn't have a lot of draft capital and, you know, what that can mean if he isn't able to start making some plays, they already have been jerking around sort of his playing time early in this year. They're going to probably just replace him. And then you, you wind up with a backup next year, basically. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think Burrow, Andrews, good pieces, Mike Evans, you know, came into the league so young that he's still not the oldest guy. Not really a guy that I think of as a buy right now, personally, but uh, certainly would be a, an, an asset for this season. And, and you were talking about Freer Muth. Who else? Will Fuller, Juju, and two firsts?
3: And Fitzpatrick. Because we, we know that, I mean, the, the Amish rifle is the key to any deal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Really push it over the edge. I I mean, I don't know, Sean. I don't know. I it's, I. I it would be fun to go for it this year. But like you said, I mean, I the, the biggest thing for me there, I don't really have a huge issue moving any of the injured pieces. I think the biggest issue for me would be the first. It's just like I'm excited about having these four firsts. I've never had a – I don't think I've ever had a rookie draft with four firsts. But that doesn't mean we can't spend them. There's a lot of pieces coming back. I'm going to need some time. I'm going to need some time to think. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We have – the the interesting thing
3: that makes it worth – Attacking is that we do have Kyler Murray. And anytime that you have Kyler Murray, you feel like you're probably not that many plays away if you have decent depth. And we have decent depth, right? We don't have the other firepower, except that we do have Debo Samuel then. And Debo, as we know, him, he's he's been the guy. So DJ Moore, Elijah Moore, Tyler Boyd, Firmworth, and gesicki all those guys in the lineup this week. We also have James Conner. It is a situation though where the fantasy playoffs in this particular format are probably going to take place with Edmonds back or possibly back, but that's another one where we could be kind of playing Connor as a potential star in 2021. when that's not going to be the case in the future. I, I mean, I hope that Edmonds comes back and is perfectly fine. It'd be good for him. Good for the Cardinals. You know, Connor probably still score some points. We have seen some of these ankle injuries, linger, the Saquon Barkley thing. Uh, immediately, it looked like it could be a big concern, and they come back, you know, day after the game and say, oh, you know, he's, he's more or less fine. You know, it, it still took quite a while for him to come back. We're hoping that he is 100% this week. Probably a completely different situation from what we saw with Michael Thomas, but obviously he's been struggling with an ankle injury for a long time. And so there's this possibility that maybe James Conner is a guy who can be an absolute league winner. So we've got a couple of those pieces in there who might make it worth Attacking, especially if, oh, so yeah, I can't leave the show. I mean, I know the listeners don't want a ton more of DJ Moore, but I can't leave the show without asking. I mean, Cam Newton, he he runs for a touchdown, he throws a touchdown. I mean, he's he's back to peak form, right? And this is gonna be DJ Moore and Cam Newton the rest of the way.
2: DJ Moore is back to being a wide receiver one. Well, yeah, I actually that's I'm so glad that you brought that up because we we had a request last week. Uh, to comment on what Cam Newton meant for DJ Moore. I meant to bring it up. I forgot. I was going to bring it up on this show, and I also forgot. So I'm so glad that you brought it up, and apologies to that listener who has asked me, I think, a couple of times in the last week or so since Newton signed. I discussed it a little bit in Signals, but my my take was, look, P.J. Walker this week, um, I'm going to find the number because it was absurd. They had him. He's been a vertical passer in the past, but they had him. And I don't know, maybe this was him, whatever. 124 total air yards for the entire team. That is fewer than multiple players had this week. Uh, You know, obviously a lot of that went to Christian McCaffrey underneath. But basically no vertical passing game there. And they had, you know, just such a horrible stretch with with Sam Darnold. Moore did uh, earn a a 33-yard defensive pass interference in this game that didn't go down in those air yards. He did get a little bit of a downfield pass there, um, but didn't have a lot in his stat line this week. Leads the wide receivers and tight ends and targets again. Very clearly the number one, very clearly the guy that if this passing game shows any life, Moore is the one that looks like he's going to benefit. I mean, yeah, Robbie Anderson scored a TD this week. Yeah, he was back at six targets and you know, a couple positive signs there. There's not there's not a lot else here. And, and Moore all season has still dominated from you know, targets per out run, weighted targets per out run, whopper, all of these team share route, you know, per route numbers have all looked really, really strong, even as he has not been very productive. So the way I'm looking at it is Cam Newton can't be any worse than what we just got from P.J. Walker. He can't be any worse than what we got for from a long stretch out of Sam Darnold. If he has really – any, I mean, he was in – the offense he was in in New England, very run heavy last year, and we haven't really had to see him throw. We haven't seen him have to throw a lot you know, in the last few seasons. But, I mean, I think he still has the ability to throw the ball down the field. Cam Newton is a, a reasonably – decent passer i mean i think he doesn't get as much credit for that as he probably is owed and uh the way that i'm looking at it is like it's all upside based on you know the quarterback play that they've had the last few weeks and i don't really see how it can be any worse so i'm <laughs> with you i think dj more to the moon it has to be it has to be you heard it here first it can't be any worse that's
3: where we're going with dj Moore. uh ben it's been A great time again tonight we'll continue to work on some of these trades Uh, listeners if you are interested let Ben know Uh, you can also send some notes to our our producer Colin Kelly if you want we'll try and answer some of these questions as we go through we know that mostly what you're interested in is DJ Moore AJ Brown and Jonathan Taylor because those are the main guys in fantasy football plus obviously Stefan Diggs we will be back with you this Friday for another episode in between now and then good luck on Thursday night. Hopefully you won't start it with a Mike Gesicki zero again. I think it's going to be impossible for that specific thing to happen, but hopefully you'll get off to a fast start on Thursday night. If you don't get off to a fast start, I hope you have as good a Sunday and Monday as a lot of our Gasicki teams did. Until then, I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards yardsprogress.com sign up for Stealing Signals. We get so much more of the cool stuff that you heard from Ben tonight. If you want to get a 10% discount to Rotoviz to jump in, look at the NFL Pace tool, some of the other tools we've been talking about, you can do that by using discount code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. If you can, leave us a rating and review. We always appreciate that. Refresh it if you want. It'll help us with the algorithm. Uh, Subscribe to the feed. We'll get the show as soon as it releases. And until next time, have a good one.